He sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. Interesting. We have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. No, we haven't. God told us personally that he existed from eternity to eternity. Psalm 90, verse 2. From the everlasting into the everlasting, you are God. Clear? Anybody not understand that? That's very simple. God just said it. From the everlasting to the everlasting, me. Nobody else. Mormon theology denies this. It teaches that God has a body of flesh and bone. Let's listen a minute more. Is the first principle of the gospel to know for certainty the character of God, to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another, that he was once a man like us? Yes, God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth, the same as Jesus Christ himself did. Here then is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God, and you've got to learn how to be gods yourselves. That's Mormon theology. The romance of the gods. You become a god through the priesthood, through resurrection, you ascend to the third level of the celestial kingdom. You are a god. You marry women in the temple now. These women in the resurrection are your wives. You summon them from their graves as a resurrected god yourself. Then you sexually procreate children with your private harem for all eternity. That is what is offered the Mormon male. The vocabulary of Christianity, the pleasures of polytheism and polygamy and eternal sex with multiple partners. If that doesn't appeal to the carnal nature of man, I don't know what will. <laughs> now people say, you really, like, you can't mean this is true. Yes, it's true. I was on a television program a while back in Salt Lake City. I was invited to go there at the, on the program because the Salt Lake City Tribune wouldn't advertise that I was in town. <laughs> and the Mormons weren't advertising it either. I like to go to Salt Lake City about every two years, let them know that I'm alive. <laughs> and as Mark Twain said, the reports of my death are highly exaggerated. <laughs> when I got there, uh, I was given a shot at NBC television for all of Utah. And the guy invited me on a program, very funny fellow, said, um, I just have one question to ask you, Doc. He said, can you prove what you're going to say tonight, whatever it is? I said, right. He said, go for it. He says, but if you can't prove it, don't look for me. I said, okay. Number one program in Salt Lake City. We go on the air. And this fellow turns to me. He was beautiful. And he said, Dr. Martin, I understand you're lecturing in Salt Lake City this week. I said, yes, I am. Well, now, uh, I understand from your brochure here that you're lecturing one night on Mormonism. Do you consider Mormonism a non-Christian cult? Do you think it's a cult? I said, no, I know it's a cult. <laughs> I know it's non-Christian. I can prove it's non-Christian. He said, that's a very strong statement. I said, well, if you can believe that you're going to evolve to become a god... 
If you can believe that Jesus Christ was a spirit brother of Lucifer, that he was married to the Marys and Martha and sexually procreated children, if you can believe that you're going to have an eternal harem with multiple partners, if you can believe that Jesus Christ was conceived by sexual relations between a resurrected God and the Virgin Mary, I said you qualify as a non-Christian cultist. And Mormonism believes it. I wish you could have seen what happened in that studio. Place went bananas. The man who was directing the program was running back and forth, going like this. I didn't know whether it meant my throat or the program. And the moderator was loving it. Oh, he was loving every moment of it. And uh, he kept right on talking. He said, is that really in Mormon theology? I said, it certainly is. He said, we'll be back in just a moment, and we'll go into this some more. The computers went crazy. The telephone lines lit up all over the place. He said, I'm going to throw this program open to the listening audience. He said, are you ready for it? And he said, can you really prove that about Jesus? I said, I certainly can. He said, let's go. <laughs> Back on the air again. This Gentile on my left. And this saint. And he said, that's a pretty strong statement, he said, that you made before. He's about Mormonism and gods and harems and eternal sex and all that. And Jesus, he said, can you prove that? I said, I certainly can. I started to quote the materials. Well, then he opened the phone lines. And you could hear the Mormons coming through. They were sputtering. They were so angry, furious. And I, after I'd answer that question, I'd say, isn't that what you believe? Click. Nobody would come clean. Finally, one Mormon got on the line. He said, I don't know what all the fuss is about. He says, our church teaches you can become a god. I hope to become a god myself. I don't agree with Dr. Martin, he says, but the theology's accurate. Amazing the kind of reactions you get. People calling you and saying, it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. And Mormons calling up and saying, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. We had a marvelous time. <laughs> Fantastic. We got off the air, and the switchboards were bananas. And this fellow turned to me and said, you know, it's pretty hot out there tonight. I said, it's going to be a lot hotter when I lecture this evening. <laughs> he said, good. He said, tomorrow i got a program, an hour and a half on NBC radio, all over the state of Utah. You want to go again? <laughs> I said, right on. I went an hour and a half the next day. Mormons came to Christ through that. People wrote in, checked their references. Gerald and Sandra Tanner had six big tables filled with documents outside in the lobby of the school that we hired in Salt Lake City. Because my own Baptist church wouldn't let me in. The first year they let me in and they never had such big meetings. The second year I came back to my own denominational church at the time and they wouldn't let me in because they said I so disrupted the connections of their board of deacons with their Mormon business partners and friends that they didn't feel that they should have me this year. This is the church of Jesus Christ. The world of the gutless wonders. <laughs> you know how I got into Salt Lake at all? It's, it's a miracle all by itself. I was about to give up trying to get in there because I, I'm not going to knock the door down if God doesn't open it. I got a telephone call from a used car salesman who owned a big lot in Salt Lake. And he was born again Christian, loved the Lord, he and his son. And he said, we're renting the main auditorium of the high school downtown. We'll hand out the flyers. We'll go to the churches. We'll buy time on radio. Whatever it takes. 
Come on to Salt Lake City. We'll be there. Honest Abdul, the used car salesman. <laughs> and he was honest. And I went there and they paid every nickel of it themselves. And I got up there and I said, how many people here tonight are Mormons? And half the hands in the audience went up. And there were two Mormon apostles there. One of them, the late Bruce McConkie. And professors from Brigham Young University. And we had a marvelous time before I lectured. I said, outside when you leave, there are six tables loaded with documents photographed from the archives of your church. If you don't believe what I say tonight, don't take my word for it. Stop by the tables and take one of each. Then go and check it in the archives. They were gracious enough to give it to us. Surely they'll give it to you. Those tables were picked clean in 15 minutes. Gone! Mormons came there and took one of each all the way down the line. Check this stuff out. That's planting the seeds. You see, what makes it possible for Mormon theology to get away with most of the things it does is because the Mormon people themselves are so nice. And people say, but they're such lovely people. And their children are wonderful. And they have such nice family lives. I mean, after all, why are you discriminating against them? I'm not. But a nice family life and good neighbors and decent people isn't going to save their soul. Salvation is by grace alone through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you don't go that way, you're not going. That's all there is to it. And I'm amazed today that people will not get up and say that publicly and will not take this particular message to the public, particularly to the cults, because they're afraid people are going to get mad at them. If you tell the Mormons this, the Mormons are going to get mad. You don't expect them to erect a monument to you, do you? If you tell people the truth that blows away everything that they believe, you think they're going to love you for it? The ones that get saved will. The ones that don't are going to hate you forever until they get saved. But you still have to tell them the truth. So listen to the truth. Mormon theology denies the virgin birth of Jesus Christ in the most pornographic terms imaginable. And I quoted this material on NBC in Salt Lake. I've done it coast to coast. The Mormon Church was invited by Pat Robertson of the Christian Broadcasting Network to send its representatives to Virginia Beach to appear on national television with myself and J. Edward Decker for the purpose of discussing Mormon theology openly, no holds barred. Pat made the time available, wrote me, said it's okay, and I applaud him for having that kind of courage. And it was proposed to him by a Mormon senator who felt that the time had come for the Mormons to come out in the open and state their position. And Robertson agreed with him. I agreed. Decker agreed. We approached the Mormon church. That was four years ago. They not only don't agree, they won't come out, come out wherever you are. Because they want to be known as Donnie and Marie Osmond and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They want to be known for all the ads on television and the Reader's Digest. They want everybody to think that's Mormonism. That isn't Mormonism. That's the front for Mormonism. The theology of Mormonism is here in their own publications from their own missionaries. And you have to go to those sources. So let's go to the sources. What does Mormonism teach about Jesus Christ? I think it ought to sober almost anybody up 
who can read English or analyze a statement. According to Mormon theology, Adam is the father of all the spirits that were created to live on this earth, and he himself came from another earth where he apparently had been created by his father, Elohim. The father of Adam is the god Elohim, Brigham Young said. Here, O inhabitants of the earth, Jew and Gentile, saint and sinner, when our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with Eve, one of his celestial wives. Adam was a polygamist before he arrived. Listen. Adam, he, is our father and our God, and the only God with whom we have to do. Up until seven years ago, Mormon theology reeked with the doctrine of Adam God, taught by Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and all their successors in the Mormon church, that the God of this world was Adam. He came from another planet, fathered all the spirits that are here now, and then rose to the rank of a God himself. He became the God and Father of the Mormons. And that's why Brigham referred to him as our Father and our God, and the only God with whom we have to do. Seven years ago, it got very hot on the doctrine of Adam God, and the Mormon church came out and said, some people in the church may have taught this doctrine, but it was never a revelation to the church by a living prophet. That statement was a categorical outright lie. It was a revelation, and it was given to the church by Brigham Young, and I will quote the revelation which the archives of the Mormon church graciously supplied me with before they knew what I wanted it for. <laughs> quote, How much unbelief exists in the minds of the Latter-day Saints about one doctrine which I revealed to them and which God revealed to me. Namely, that Adam is our father and our God. Close quote, Brigham Young. That's a direct revelation, punishable by excommunication, if you don't accept it. And Brigham wielded it with a rod of iron in the Mormon church, beginning in 1851 and straight through till he died in 1877. After him, his successors taught the same thing. They also taught that Jesus Christ came into existence this way, quote, Jesus, our elder brother, was begotten in the flesh by the same character that was in the Garden of Eden and who is our Father in heaven. Who is the Father? He is the first of the human family. When he took a tabernacle, or a body, it was begotten by his Father in heaven. After the same manner as the tabernacles of Cain and Abel, and the rest of the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. So far as I know, Cain and Abel and the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve were procreated sexually. If you have any other explanation as to how they managed it, please inform me. But the Mormon church teaches that's the way Jesus came. And he came when Father Adam, who had risen from the dead, progressed to the rank of a god and reached exaltation, returned to earth, had sexual intercourse with the Virgin Mary, and produced Jesus of Nazareth. Quote, Jesus Christ enjoys a unique stature in the flesh. He is the offspring of a mortal mother of an, and of an immortal or resurrected and glorified father. 
There's no doubt about the fact in Mormon theology who was the father of Jesus Christ and that Jesus was conceived in exactly the same manner as Cain and Abel. Should there be any further doubt? Quote, Christ was not begotten by the Holy Ghost. He was begotten of God. He was not born without the aid of a man. And that man was God. Apostle Bruce McConkie, quote, Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. That's blasphemy. And that's exactly the core of the Mormon doctrine of the virgin birth. We're approaching Christmas time right now. We never read, except at Christmas time, what the virgin birth was. That's the Mormon virgin birth. This is the Christian virgin birth. Turn to it in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 1. I want you to see the utter perversion of Christian theology that Mormonism indulges in. And that Mormons, wittingly or unwittingly, endorse. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to give it to you in street corner Greek because Matthew was a member of Caesar's Department of Infernal Revenue. And he always went for the bottom line. So I'm going for the bottom line too. This is good old Koine, New Testament Greek, not King James translation. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way, verse 18. When his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they had sexual relations, she was found pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Want you to notice the agency of the pregnancy? The Holy Spirit. Cross-reference that verse with Luke 1, 35. Mary asks the logical question. How am I going to have a child and I'll have a man? Answer from the obliging angel Gabriel, not Moroni. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest one will overshadow you. And that which is born of you will be called Holy Son of God. Mary conceived the child Jesus by a direct act of God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, without any human sperm, whatever, without any sexual intercourse, whatever. But the entire Mormon system of theology is a psychosexual nightmare. It is all wrapped up in sex and the gods, and the gods having sex. This is not Christianity. Just in case we think it is, listen. Joseph, her husband, was a just man. He didn't want to make a public example of her, so he was going to divorce her privately. But while he was meditating on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to thee Mary thy wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Verse 25. Joseph did not have sexual relations with her, until she brought forth her firstborn child named Jesus. Clear? Crystal clear. Now, if somebody attacks your country, you should get excited if you're a patriot. If somebody attacks your wife and your children, you should get excited as the patriarch of the family. Wouldn't give you a dime for a man that wouldn't defend his family. How much more excited should the Church of Jesus Christ get when Mormon theology bastardizes the Son of God? 
and makes him the product of sexual relations between a resurrected God and the Virgin Mary. That has got to do something to your Christian sensibilities or I wonder where you have tucked your brains. You can applaud. It's, 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 it's acceptable. You're not applauding me. That's the truth. And yet Christians sit still for this and never say anything for fear that Mormons are going to be offended. If they must be offended by truth, well and good. Let them be offended. This is blasphemy. The Mormon church says, quote, each of these gods, including Jesus Christ and his Father, has a glorified body of flesh and bones. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also. But the Holy Ghost does not have a body of flesh and bones, but is a personage of spirit. God is a big man. That's Mormonism. And people don't realize it. I was preaching and I put this on one of my tapes in a community in the East one time and it was inundated by Mormon missionaries. They're all over the area. It was called the Tri-State Area of Upper New York. And there were Mormon missionaries boarded in the houses of everybody in the area. There must have been a couple of hundred of them covering the entire area. And they heard I was coming and the church invited them and the first three or four rows of the meeting house that night was Mormon missionaries. The rest of the place was jammed with Christians and it got to be such a big meeting that they had to hang loudspeakers out the windows because the people were gathering on the lawn outside and parking their cars so they could hear it. So we knew we were getting to the communities. Interesting thing happened. After I lectured, a Mormon missionary got up and he said, Dr. Martin, I know that you don't accept our sacred books, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. I said, right. He said, but you do accept the Bible as the Word of God. I said, I certainly do. He said, if I can prove to you from the Bible that God has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, will you believe it? I said, I sure will. He said, good, open your Bibles. All the Christians open their Bibles. And then he said, listen. And he started reeling off verses. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. God has arms. You could hear the pages in the Bibles whirring as the people turned them. And they'd whir their Bibles over to this passage and they'd look up at me. <laughs> What's he going to say? What's he going to say? And then they'd quote, The finger of the Lord wrote upon the wall, Mene, Mene, Tankel, Hufarsen, in the book of Daniel. God has a hand and fingers. My ear is not closed that I cannot hear. God has ears. My eye is not blinded I cannot see. God has eyes. His head and his hair were as white as wool. God has a head and hair as white as wool. And his feet were like burnished brass. God has burnished brass, brass feet. <laughs> and they kept quoting these verses and could hear the Bibles go, and looking up at me, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? Finally, we got to the end and he said, There you are, sir. From your own Bible, God has eyes, ears, nose, mouth, hands, feet. God is an exalted man just as our prophets have taught. All the Mormons were sitting there. I said, would you read one more verse for us? Yes, sir. I said, read Psalm 91, verse 4. Mark it in your Bible. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. <laughs> now he's a chicken. What happened to you just now happened to the Mormons. They burst out laughing. Some of them put their fingers in their mouths. Some of them put their heads down. Some of them just guffawed out loud. 
And the guy who was asking me the question turned red as a beat, and he started to laugh. I said, go ahead, laugh. It's okay. And they laughed. And I said, uh, keep going. I said, there's other verses. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's a loaf of bread. I am the way. Now you walk on him. I am the true vine. Now he's a vegetable, right? And he kept shaking his head. And I said the same verse that says, his head and his hair were as white as wool. Said out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. You think God has a sword for a tongue? No. I said, our God is a consuming fire. Now he's a blast furnace. You believe that? No. I said, okay. Now I said, you're an educated man, and Brigham and Joseph weren't. Tell me what kind of language that is. And he said, figurative. I said, that's figurative language. Right. And why was it used? Because God wanted to portray himself with a hand that could not be stopped, an ear that always heard, an eye that always saw, feet that could not be moved. God was speaking to us in human vocabulary to describe to us in terms we could understand what he is like. He wasn't describing a physical body. He was trying to communicate to us as we would expect to be, communi be communicated with. And he's not a chicken. And he's not a big man. You make him a man, I make him a chicken. I said, you understand me? He said, yes, sir. I said, any more questions? He said, no, sir. And he sat down. <laughs> it is imperative that you get across to Mormons what is the nature of God. So let me give you the nature of God with the best definition possible. John 4, 24. It came from God. If God doesn't know what God is, God's in trouble. And if he's in trouble, I hate to tell you where we are. John 4, 24. Jesus Christ said, God is spirit. Not a spirit. Greek says God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus also told us, Luke 24, 37 through 39, spirit doesn't have flesh and bone, as you see me have. So, God the Father doesn't have a body of flesh and bone because God the Son said so. End of discussion. But Mormonism is still teaching God is a big man. No. That is the God of mythology. This is the God of Christian theology. There's a difference. Mormonism teaches that salvation does not come by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. That salvation comes by, and I quote, repentance, baptism, faith, and good works, and obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel as taught by the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. That's salvation. What is salvation in Mormonism? Resurrection of your body. The Mormons just don't want salvation. The Mormons want exaltation. That means that you rise to the rank of a god with your private harem. So don't confuse salvation with exaltation. Mormonism teaches there is no salvation or resurrection outside of the Mormon church. They're as clear on that as possible. Here's a pamphlet which I got from the Mormon church in Salt Lake City when I toured their visitor center. So I know it's authoritative because they handed it to me. 
It's what they think of the blood of Jesus Christ. Christians speak often of the blood of Christ and its cleansing power. Much that is believed and taught on this subject, however, is such utter nonsense and so palpably false that to believe it is to lose one's salvation. For instance, this is palpably false and utter nonsense. Ready? For instance, many believe or pretend to believe that if we confess Christ with our lips and avow that we accept him as our personal Savior, we are thereby saved. They say that his blood without any other act than mere belief makes us clean. What is the true doctrine of the blood of Christ? Salvation comes because of the atonement, and the atonement was wrought through the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. Notice the difference? When Jesus sweat huge drops of blood, or like blood, in Gethsemane, that's when the atonement was made. And it was completed on the cross. That's not biblical theology. Biblical theology says the Lamb of God took away the sins of mankind by his sacrifice on the cross. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the payment of our sins was upon him. With his suffering, we have been healed. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, he had offered the one sacrifice for sin forever. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. It is obviously a biblical doctrine that the atonement had nothing to do with Gethsemane. It was Calvary. Calvary covers it all, not Gethsemane covers it all. Christ great, sweat great drops of blood from every pore when he conditionally took upon himself the sins of the world. He had nothing to do with the sins of the world in Gethsemane, and there's not one single passage of the Bible that teaches it. This is the theology of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. And then the shedding of his blood was completed upon the cross. Oh no, the cross was the one sacrifice for sin forever. Gethsemane had nothing to do with it. Mormon theology doesn't believe in crosses. They're appalled by the fact that I would wear a cross, or you would have one in your church. The Mormons never have crosses in their churches. They want nothing to do with salvation by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Solely by grace, never. Solely by faith and grace, never. Works. One works and observes the church and obeys the church and then one receives resurrection. How wonderful to read in Scripture. By grace, I love the tense in the Greek here, you have been saved through faith. Not by yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Now has Mormonism given up the doctrine of Adam God? Has Mormonism left its polytheism and many gods behind it? Has Mormonism left the idea that Jesus had wives behind them? No. Mormon missionaries will tell you that Jesus was married to the Marys and Martha and he procreated children. The Bible says that cannot be true because Jesus died for our sins and according to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, when you make his sacrifice for your soul and receive him, then Christ sees his children. We are the seed of Jesus Christ by regeneration through the cross of Calvary. 
He was cut off from the land of the living, says Isaiah. Who shall declare his children? Nobody, because he didn't have any. We are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are the seed of God. That's biblical theology, not Mormon theology. Often Mormon missionaries say to me after meetings or when they meet me, you're always quoting our early sources. Why don't you quote some of our up-to-date sources? So I say, delighted. Let me quote the 443rd Annual Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Quote, Outburst after outburst of delighted laughter filled the tabernacle Saturday afternoon at the fourth session of the 143rd Annual Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. The speaker was Elder Legrand Richards of the Council of Twelve Apostles, well known for his missionary activities at the top drawer, Twelve Apostles. Describing an experience he once had in the mission field, Elder Richards told of speaking to a large gathering of clergymen. I explained to them the differences between Reformation and Restoration, Elder Richards said. Then when I finished my remarks, one of them stood up and said, Mr. Richards, we've been told you believe that God had a wife. Would you please explain this? I think he thought he had me, said Elder Richards. The audience in the tabernacle began to chuckle. I retorted, I didn't see how God could have a son if he didn't have a wife. Do you hear that? I did not see how God could have a son unless he had a wife. The tabernacle audience's chuckle grew to a full roar of laughter as Elder Richards turned to the president, Harold B. Lee, seated near the podium to ask if this was a proper answer. President Lee nodded. That is the 143rd convention, April 8, 1973. God had a wife. That is an approved answer from the president of then president of the church. And the apostle doesn't see how God could possibly have a son unless God had a wife. Imagine the God of the Bible has to materialize and have sex with a woman before he can have a child. I wonder how he managed the creation of Adam. It appears to me the text says he created him from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. Is that right? Where was the woman? Nowhere. And then Adam's side was opened up and part of his inner being was taken out and a woman was formed called Eve, the mother of all living. Adam and Eve were the only two people who never had belly buttons. They were never born. They were created by God. Isn't that right? And imagine he did it without a wife too. Amazing. See the reason I quote this is to show you a hundred years later, it's the same old stuff. While they are busy, busily telling the public, we don't believe that anymore. Oh, yes, they do. I was preaching in a church in New Jersey one time after I got to the question period, which we'll get to in a moment. Up jumped a Mormon missionary and he said, I don't believe the doctrine of Adam God and I don't believe that 
Adam God had sex with the Virgin Mary and I don't believe that's the way Jesus came into existence. I believe he came into existence by the Holy Ghost according to what you read in Matthew chapter 1. I don't believe that and I'm a Mormon. And I said, congratulations. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I said, but Brigham Young believed it. Joseph Smith believed it. For a hundred years you preached it. In the name of God, by divine revelation. So don't tell me now you don't believe it. I'm happy about that. Tell me about what false prophets they were who did believe it. Then I believe you. Before I, he could say any more, on the other side of the auditorium, a man stood up. Elderly gentleman. And he said, I'd like to say something. I said, oh boy. I wonder what he's into. And he said, I've been a Mormon for over 60 years. And he turned to the Mormon missionary. I'll never forget it. It's on tape. And he said, Sonny, you better go back and study your books. He says, because that man knows more about our theology than you do. He says, that's what I was taught as a boy. That's historic Mormon theology. And every one of those books he quoted, I quoted when I was a missionary. And there was a war going on between these two groups. The older Mormons and the younger Mormons. So I found, ended up at the end of the lecture going back and refereeing between the two groups. And I said, the elderly brother is right. This is your theology. You just haven't gotten a full dose of it yet. Cheer up. You will. And he says, you certainly will. He says, because that's what the church believes. I've had Mormon missionaries stand up say, we don't believe those things. Another Mormon missionary stand up and say, we do believe those things. I was preaching in 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Donald Barnhouse's church at the time. After I lectured on Adam God, up stands a professor from Brigham Young University. He was doing his doctoral studies at the Hebrew, Dropsy College of Hebrew and Cognate Learning outside Philadelphia. Brilliant guy. Lifelong Mormon. Third generation. And he said, I would like to have about 15 minutes to come to the platform and refute all the errors that you have taught about our theology tonight. I said, uh, would you care to specify, Professor? He said, well, there's so many things you said. I said, well, pick out a few. Specify where it's wrong. I said, I have a briefcase here with all kinds of documents that I carried with me then. I'd be happy to let you look at the document. You can come up here and read it to the audience. He said, no, he said, I'd just like to get up and speak. I said, no, you can't get up and speak, but you can ask any question you want. Just at that moment, a young lady stood up. And she said, Dr. Martin, Dr. Martin, I have to say something. Well, you never let people talk across an auditorium because that's the end of the dialogue. And I thought, I can't let this happen. But she said, this is important. Something told me, let the sister speak. So I said, what is it, dear? She said, I am the former circulation librarian of Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I am a lifelong Mormon. I also know Professor Ricks, who is standing right opposite me now. She said, I don't know where you got the documents from. I got them from the archives of the church. And she said, every single thing you quoted tonight is accurate and in context because I showed them the Professor Ricks, didn't I? And she said, then I left the Mormon church 
and receive the real Jesus as my Savior. There are a thousand people there. What makes a man who's a professor on a university campus get up and lie into the teeth of a thousand people when he knew I was telling the truth? It was to discredit what I said. But she finished it. We have her on tape, her name, and she had all the documents. And I bless the memory of her because she saved that meeting right there by pointing out, I know him. And then she said, didn't I? And he had nothing to say, whatever. Just sat down. If we had the time, and we don't, we could go into multiple quotations from Mormon theology. The Mormons claim the Book of Mormon is validated by archaeology. Not so, says the Biblical Archaeology Review. Not so, says the Smithsonian Institution. Not so, says the National Geographic Association. Not so, say any of the scholars that have examined it. The Book of Mormon is not substantiated by any archaeological finds, whatever. And we have letters from professors at Brigham Young University saying the same thing. The missionaries mislead you. There is no archaeological support. The Book of Mormon is a fabrication based upon the writings of Solomon Spaulding, validated by handwriting experts and by the affidavits of people who heard Spaulding read the manuscript before it was stolen by Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith. That's history. That's all down in print with the documentation. The Mormon Church has never answered the handwriting experts. Let's face up to this important fact. Mormonism is a non-Christian cult. Joseph Smith denies the Trinity and says it's a strange God anyhow, three in one and one in three. Joseph Smith says you've got to become a God yourself. Brigham Young says the God of the Mormons is Adam and that Jesus Christ was begotten by him. Biblical theology says this is all false prophecy and false doctrine. And we must stand firm upon the word of God. We must love the Mormons enough to tell them the truth. And we must not be deceived ourselves. For Christ's sake, let us put on the whole armor of God and stand against the methods of the devil. And there are black brothers and sisters who are here tonight. Negroes, you have the ultimate method of witnessing to the Mormons. You embarrass them to death because now they have to receive you in the priesthood even though it was taught by revelation that you could never receive the priesthood until the last white man had received it. Pure racism. And it was taught that one drop of black blood contaminated the individual so that one could not hold the priesthood with one drop of black blood. And then God changed his mind, ollie ollie oxen free. <laughs> and seven years ago, you black brothers and sisters were given the priesthood and someday you may rise to the third level of the celestial kingdom and there you too through the priesthood may become gods. But remember when you get there, your skin will become delightsomely white. I know that fills you with great joy <laughs> to know that when you finally make it as gods, you'll be white gods. There are people sitting here tonight and saying, this guy can't be for real. They really don't believe this stuff. Yes, they do. 
Every bit of it is chapter and verse. And there are ex-Mormons in this audience tonight. Raise your hands. Ex-Mormons, raise your hands. Do I speak the truth? Is that what you believed? Is that what you taught? Of course. Yet I'm on a big radio station in Sacramento with a Mormon. And he's supposed to answer questions on Mormonism, and I am too. And telephone calls start coming in, and I make the statement, Mormons believe they can become gods. Mormons are calling in, and he's sitting there. We don't believe that. No, 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 that's a misrepresentation. You don't understand what we're talking about. Finally, one phone call rang, and a Mormon man came on, and he said, I've been listening to this program, he said, for 30 minutes, I can't believe what I'm hearing. He says, I don't believe Walter Martin. He says, I don't agree with him. He said, but he is quoting our theology books, and that's what we're trained to believe. That's what I believed when I was a missionary. That's what the church believes. I'm going to be a god someday. And I am going to have many wives. And I am going to procreate children. And that's the teachings of our church. Why doesn't the man who's sitting there tell the truth? The moderator of the program turned to the man and said, Well, Bob. <laughs> and Bob said his bishop wouldn't let him talk theology with Walter Martin. What was he there for? but to attack Walter Martin. Mormonism never refutes what I write. They never refute my lectures. They never refute my tapes. Never refute the films. Never refute anything. All they do is attack me. Personal attack is the last bastion of the defeated. When you no longer deal with facts, you attack people. The important thing is, what does the scripture say? And the scripture says, there's only one God. I'll leave you one verse for the Mormon missionary that upsets all of them. Memorize it. When you deal with a Mormon missionary or a Mormon, say to them, I understand that your church teaches that someday you can become a god. They know it. Then you say to them, supposing God personally told you, you can't be a god. Would you believe God? After some hemming and hawing, they will say, if God told me personally, I'd believe it. You say, good. Turn to Isaiah 43, verse 10, and have the Mormon read it for you. Don't you read it. Have him read it for you out loud. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know, that you may believe, that you may understand. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. You are not going to make it, baby. God said so. If they still doubt, take them to Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first one, I am the last one. Apart from me there is no God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, there is one God, one intercessor between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, and the supreme authority on the subject, Jesus Christ himself. Mark chapter 12, Master, what is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus answered, 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. One. Now you can call anything you want a God. You can worship money, power, patriotism, status, sex, position, whatever you want. But worshiping it doesn't make it God. It makes it your God. But your God isn't God. There is only one God. One eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent creator. And that's why Galatians 4.8, where I began, I end, says, You did service to them when you were unbelievers, which by nature are not gods. There's only one God by nature. Satan is called a god. There are lords many and gods many, so called in heaven and earth. But Paul says, for us one God the Father, one Lord Jesus Christ. Let us have compassion on the Mormon people. Let's care for them. Let's love them. Hate the theology and love the sinner that needs Christ. It can be done. Standing in Chuck Smith's big tent, the first Calvary Chapel, in California in 1973, a Mormon missionary stood up and was so agitated at my lecture on Mormonism that he challenged me and we had a little debate for 10 minutes on Mormonism. And I perceived as he was talking that he was really looking. He was earnest. And I said, let's not argue about all this. Why don't you wait till after the meeting is over? Come on down front and we'll talk. He said, okay. We closed the meeting and he came down front. We talked with a group of Christians standing around him. And after we got finished talking, I gave him references to check. Mormon books, materials. And I said, now you go check them. And you come back a couple of days from now. Meetings are still going on. And if I'm wrong, I'll apologize. He said, that's fair. I said, let's have a word of prayer together. He said, okay. So I put my arm around him. And he put his arm around me. For a Mormon to put his arm around me is a miracle all by itself. <laughs> and I prayed for him. Lord Jesus, open the eyes and ears of the soul of this young man who's looking. You promised that you will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. Reveal yourself to him. Save him. Deliver him from Mormonism. Well, I prayed up a storm for his salvation. When I finished, he said, Amen. I said, Amen too. I gave him a big charismatic hug and sent him on his way. Well, two nights passed. Never saw him again. The last night of the meetings, the question period comes. And he stands up, right in the middle, walks over to the microphone and says, A lot of you folks will probably remember me because I was here a couple of nights ago. He said, And I said Dr. Martin was wrong on Mormonism and said he wasn't telling the truth. He said, Dr. Martin and I prayed together after the meeting and he said, Other Christians here prayed with me too. He said, I went and checked it out with the Bible. And he said, I have abandoned the Mormon church and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. He said, thank you so much for taking the time to tell me, for caring, and for not caring that I hated what you were saying, but it was the truth. He said, now pray for me. 
because I'm going to witness to my Mormon friends and my former church and my brothers and sisters and my father and my mother. And he says, you know what that means. I said, I know what that means. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Go for it. God loves the Mormon people. He sent Jesus Christ to save them. Let's us love them for Jesus' sake. But let us not be so blinded by sloppy agape and by tolerance of evil and permissiveness of false doctrines that in our zeal to love them we forget that they are prisoners of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and they must be set free from that. They must be born again. That we must remember. He that has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the church and obey him. Amen. Thank you. Now, there were those of you here tonight who are not on the mailing list of CRI and perhaps would like free tracts on Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses that you can reproduce yourself and hand out to your Mormon friends and missionaries that knock on your door. If you would like that information, simply raise your hand for a moment where the ushers can see you. And our faithful ushers who have cards will take those cards and rush towards you at breakneck speed. <laughs> would you believe jog towards you? Perhaps amble towards you? Come on, fellas. Go for it. Just wave your hand for a moment. And then there are microphones set up in the audience and I'll be very happy to answer your questions on Mormonism or the other cults but if you want this information free please take the card after you have filled the card out with your name and address and if you'd like to tell us what church you belong to drop it in the agape boxes drop it in the boxes as you go out so I can take the cards put them on the computer, and mail the information to you as quickly as possible. Now listen carefully. I will not sell your name to anybody. I will not rent your name to anybody. I will not loan your name to anybody. I will not exchange your name with anybody. I will not send you any pictures of my hand. No vials of anointed oil from the Holy Land. No splinters on platforms where I have worked miracles. No visions of my encounters with... I have a friend, Hal Lindsey, who told me years ago that all professors in European universities sit on professorial chairs, hold their glasses in their hands like this, and look very professorial. So I thought perhaps I'd try it tonight and see if I could look professorial. Josh McDowell told me the same thing, so I'm stealing a leaf from their book tonight. Okay, over here, first question. Professor Martin, um, this is a scripture that's usually used from John 10. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, you know the rest. This is a scripture that Mormons use and other people in saying that we can become gods. How do you answer that? It's very simple. It's a quotation from, uh, from the uh, book of Psalms 82 where the judges of Israel are being rebuked by Jehovah. 
because the term translated gods is also the Hebrew word Elohim, and it can be translated judges, rulers, or mighty ones. And what the uh, psalm is saying is that they arrogated to themselves the authority of God and pronounced judgment upon the people. And God says, because they acted this way, and he had called them judges or mighty rulers, yet he said, you're going to die like men. So he was looking upon them with scorn. Jesus was arguing in that passage, listen, if in the Old Testament men are called gods or judges or rulers, how can you say I'm committing blasphemy because I said I am the son of God? They never answered him. Jesus never explained the passage. But we are sure of one thing. Jesus of Nazareth was an orthodox rabbi. He said the greatest of all commandments was that there was only one God. He would hardly be teaching, therefore, that man could become a god. And obviously that's not what the passage says. Um, whose paw print are you talking about? Whose what? Paw print, the hand and the anointed oil. Who? Yeah. You don't know? <laughs> Good grief, there's enough evangelists on television who send their palm print and their anointed oil and the splinters of platforms to you. Uh, there's uh, such individuals as uh, Peter Popoff, uh, and uh, I think Ernest Angley, and there's a whole bunch of others that'll send you all kinds of little gizmos. Oral Roberts will send you his handprint, and if you send him $236 and change, Jesus will give you a cure for cancer. <laughs> you believe that, you need a psychiatrist. Quickly as possible. But I, I don't believe in those things. I was making fun of them. I don't sure. believe in them. And the reason I don't believe in them is because it's a con game. You shouldn't have to give people little gizmos to get money from them. You should give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the job. Thank you, Dr. Martin. Yes. Dr. Martin, when uh, you said that the Mormons believe in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine of Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price, do they believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Insofar as it's correctly translated. The translation is their translation. How do you witness to them through our translation? Well, they, be, they use the King James Bible, so use the King James Bible every chance you get. Okay, thank you. Right. Sir. Yes, Dr. Martin. I would like to first of all commend your book, The Kingdom of the Cults, to everybody in this room. Uh, if you don't have a copy and you want to stay knowledgeable, get it and read it. It's, I've had one for several years, and I thank you for the book. Also, a few weeks ago, we were reading in the newspapers about some violence going on in Salt Lake City, I believe in reference to a white salamander letter. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you might amplify on that, please. Well, the Mormon Church uh, accepted and validated two letters. One letter by Joseph Smith and the other by Martin Harris, one of the three witnesses to the Book of Mormon. And uh, Harris wrote to an upper New York State newspaper and stated that Joseph Smith got the Book of Mormon through a white salamander spirit which transfigured itself and hit him three times. And the angel Moroni wasn't even in the act. It was a white salamander when Joseph was treasure hunting. Mormon Church denied for years that Joseph Smith was a fortune-telling, bail-jumping treasure hunter. But it's now been proven absolutely that he was. So we know for a fact that it discredits him as a prophet right on the spot. The other letter, by Smith himself, admits that he was digging for treasure and using a seer stone. The Mormon Church denied at first that they had the Smith letter, and then, of course, later on, they had to admit it because Time Magazine was about ready to publish a copy of it. So then they admitted that they had it. Uh, 
the white salamander spirit is supposed to be the origin now of the Book of Mormon and Ex-Mormons for Jesus has a sweatshirt that they're distributing all over the country with a salamander on it and it says leaping lizards. <laughs> Those letters are very damaging to the Mormon church. That's not Walter Martin now, that's Time Magazine and Newsweek Magazine. Okay? What was the violence over? The people, three or four people were killed. <laughs> somebody was selling the documents and somebody got blown up as a result of it. They murdered three people, I believe, or two, three, two people, and the third one is in critical condition. Nobody knows who did it, but of course, in Salt Lake City, where Mormonism is concerned, it's hear no evil, see no evil, and speak no evil. You never know anything. And all the police there are Mormon anyhow, so you can expect a very thorough investigation of the entire thing. <laughs> Thank you. I know one place that I go to that I'm perfectly safe in. I am perfectly safe in Salt Lake City. The one place they don't want me dead is Salt Lake City. Anywhere else, but not Salt Lake City. I was in Brigham City not long ago, lecturing, town built for Brigham Young, and his church is right down the street from where I was. And I received a letter before I arrived there that said, if you come to Brigham City, you will never leave alive. So I prayed about it and uh, went, and the Mormon police chief uh, had a non-Mormon guard me so that if I did get killed, you see, the Mormons wouldn't be blamed for it. So I had a non-Mormon policeman taking care of me while I was there. Of course, that's no protection at all, because if anybody wants to kill you, I mean, they can get to you one way or the other. But I went, and I didn't know what kind of meetings we were going to have. We took the largest auditorium in town, and it was packed out. The people drove in from 50 miles away. My program, The Bible Answer Man, is number two in Salt Lake City on KANN Radio. So we had a tremendous, tremendous response from it. And I'm so happy to tell you 